Take a moment now to dismiss our children upstairs to be a part of our kids' crew worship. So this is for kids who are sixth grade and under. As they do that, I encourage you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to pick up in the middle of Acts chapter 6 this morning. And then we're going to continue studying through the rest of Acts 6 and all of Acts 7. And we're kind of putting together the story of Stephen. Last week we studied the choosing of the seven, the first seven disciples, uh, excuse me, seven, uh, what we refer to now as deacons. They were servants of the, of the church in that situation. And Stephen was one of the seven. And so this week we're going to learn more about Stephen, who's one of the seven. Next week we're going to learn more about Philip, another of the seven in particular as we study in this passage this morning, Acts 6 and 7, all right? One of the things that's really the key to understanding both Stephen's life and, and, and the message this morning and how we're going to apply this truth is to, to see what it means to live by faith. But when we talk about faith, we, I want to I define that together this morning. I want to talk about well, what is faith? Because oftentimes, faith is a little bit of an enigmatic idea. It's a little bit difficult for us to really grasp what faith is and understand it. We, we know faith when we see it. We know faith when we have it, it seems, and yet it's a little bit difficult to wrap our arms around the idea. If someone were to say to you, well, you need to have faith, what, what are they really saying? What does that really mean, that you need to have faith? You need to live by faith. We understand what being faithful is, right? We think of being faithful, someone who's faithful, as someone who's steady, someone who's consistent, someone who's true, so that, that's being faithful, but that's not necessarily the same thing as living by faith. Faith is, I think, the simplest way to understand it. Faith is, is trust that is put into action. So if, if I were going to define that faith for us or give us a working definition of faith, I would say that faith is trust that is put into action. Now here's the thing. What you are trusting in determines the quality of your faith, doesn't it? So what you're trusting in really ultimately has everything to do with the character of your faith. When we talk about faith as it relates to uh, Jesus, as it relates to being a follower of Christ, of course, we're talking about having faith in Christ or faith in in, in God and his plan for our lives. And in that sense, in, in the, to the degree that we place our faith or our trust in Jesus and then we, that we take action based on the promises of God in the Bible, the promises that are revealed to us about the saving work of Christ, then our faith is secure. Our faith is anchored in, in, in something that we know is a guarantee. There's a lot of things in this world that we put our faith in and they don't have that same guarantee, right? So like if you were an Oregon football fan last night, you were thinking to yourself, about the third quarter. We got this. This is no big deal, right? And then at the end of the game on the last second drive, Auburn throws the pass and they score late and, you know, Oregon can't. And, and so when, when our faith is placed in things of this world, uh, a few years ago, July 4th, uh, like totally became just a depressing day because we got the news that Kevin Durant was leaving the thunder and all of a sudden our faith in the future of our franchise was shaken. I know I'm using a lot of sports analogies. I, I love sports, but 
the, the point is that when we put our faith in, in the things of this world, it's easy for that faith to be shaken or that faith to, to be, in, in some ways we might say, misled. But when we place our faith in Christ, that faith will never disappoint. We will never be misled. We will never be disappointed. We will never be let down because we know that we are we are fixing our faith on something that is true and good. Now that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that there aren't times in our Christian walk that things don't go the way we want. There are plenty of times when things don't go the way that we want. There are plenty of times when we may not get what we want. We may not be happy in the moment. But we even in that we trust that God is at work, he's on our side, that he's good. And so faith becomes essential to our Christian living, that we, that we would have faith. That's even really what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? That we would place our faith in Jesus, we would trust in his promises, and we would take action by surrendering our lives to him. That's what it means to have a saving faith, ultimately. And so Having faith is essential to our Christian walk. We're going to see a great example in this passage that we study today of faith, of a man who lived by faith, one who had a really a, 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 the kind of faith that we're still talking about it today. Let's just say it that way, right? That Stephen was truly someone who exemplified a life of faith for us. And yet, even in that, it's not just about understanding about Stephen's life and his witness and, and, and thinking, oh, that's inspirational. The, the point really is that when we see how God worked in Stephen's life and how God brought about amazing things through the faith that Stephen had, that it would, it would help us to realize that when I live by faith, God will do great things through me as well. Not because of my power, not because of anything that's good about me, but because of Jesus and his power and his ability to work through me. And I hope you'll see that as we, as we delve into this text and really study it today, looking at the life of Stephen, someone who lived by faith. He truly was someone who lived by faith. Before we jump fully into the, the text this morning, let, let me just say this, that I think that what our world needs today desperately what the world around us needs is it needs Christians who are willing to live by faith. People who don't just give lip service to faith, but people whose lives really bear witness to their faith in Christ. People who are willing to take bold action because of their, their deep abiding faith in Jesus. The world desperately needs Christians who are fed up with playing games, who are tired of just status quo and just floating through life, but who are willing to take a stand, who are willing to live with the kind of bold faith that Stephen personifies, that, that the world, let, let's just make it even more personal. What Chickasha and our community needs is for our lives to reflect the kind of faith that we say we have for us to live by faith and to live out our Christian witness. It's obvious when we see Stephen's example. Stephen was transformed by his faith in Jesus. My prayer is that we would be a church full of people who are transformed by faith in Christ. It's obvious that Stephen spent time with Jesus, that, and, and that, that he that he spent time in prayer, that he reflected on the work of Christ, that he believed deeply in these things. What, 
what the community around us needs, what your family, what your friends, what your coworkers, what your classmates, what your neighbors need, is they need someone who spends time with Jesus and who's willing to live out that transforming faith on a day-to-day basis. And so I hope that that will be a challenge to all of us as we, as we jump into this text this morning. Perhaps one of the most foundational things I want us to see about Stephen isn't even in the passage that we're going to study. It actually comes from the passage that we studied last week. So before we jump in, in chapter 6, verse 8, I want you to just scan backward to chapter 6, verse 5, and look at what it says about Stephen. They chose Stephen, it says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, Having seen that, let's jump into the text this morning. The first thing that we're going to see about faith is this, is that faith fuels witness. That our faith fuels our witness. And so in these, in these first uh, verses that we read, we're going to see how Stephen's faith fuels his witness for the gospel. Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and of power. Let me just do a quick timeout again. So now we are, we, if, if we put these two verses together... We are two verses into our introduction to Stephen. We have had a total of not even really a sentence about Stephen, and yet we have four adjectives already that describe who he was. He was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and of power. I want to live like Stephen. Now, we don't even know much about the story of Stephen yet, and yet it's, isn't it true? I want to live like Stephen. We want to live like Stephen, full of full of the spirit, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. So Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, that's what it was called, and so this is a particular synagogue in Jerusalem. There were lots of different synagogues, gathering places, neighborhood churches is maybe the closest thing for us to think of them, something like that today. Not the temple, but a synagogue where people would gather together. And so this particular group is a gathering of freedmen, people who used to be slaves, who are now free. And it says that there was in this particular synagogue of freedmen, that there were of Cyrenians, and that's people from, uh, from Cyrus. And that happens to be where Paul is from, right? We know that. And the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia. And they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So Stephen is at odds with the group of people in this particular synagogue because he's preaching and teaching the gospel, and they didn't like it, verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We've already seen in Acts 4 and 5, the last few weeks in our study, we've seen that the, the church, the early church, is, is stirring up 
the city of Jerusalem. But there's, there's a lot of attention being given and, and even opposition coming from those who were a part of the religious establishment in, in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin being a, a big part of the driving force behind that. The Sanhedrin we saw is made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and some of the other religious, politicals, quasi-political religious groups that, that were in, in many ways sort of in charge of national matters over the Jews in Jerusalem. And so they're stirred up by all this preaching of Jesus, the work of the, the early church, and they have now basically trumped up false charges against Stephen in order to accuse him and in order to try to snuff out his witness. And yet, even in the midst of this, what do we see about Stephen? He's not, he's not phased by this, even to the point that he's described here as having like the face of an angel, like the face of an angel. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. I studied a lot on that this week, and, and there's a lot of opinion and commentators. It, the, the bottom line is this. this. This seems to be the consensus. Although, was it something about the radiance of his face? Was it something about the particular character of his face? We, we don't know for sure, but in any regard, it points us to this reality, that Stephen has been changed by Jesus. That there is something about Stephen that is so radically different because of the saving power of Christ, because of his faith in Jesus, that even when people saw him, they thought, man, this guy looks like he has the face of an angel. Stephen would do these great miracles, these wonders and signs among the people. He had people stirred up. People were people were. were really mad at Stephen for the work that he was doing to the point that they're willing to lie and create false charges to try to get rid of this guy. And his witness is incredible here. And all of that is fueled by his faith in Jesus. Faith fuels our witness when you think about fueling, right? I, I heard recently, uh, this was kind of funny. I, I heard that there are basically two types of drivers. There's the one kind of driver who, who their car you know, gets on about like uh, three quarters of a tank of gas and they're like, oh, I'm going to need to fill up soon. And then there's the other kind of driver that's like, I know my car. You know, I'm going to go as far as I can go. They're going to, not only when the light comes on, but they're going to stretch it in, until the last minute. When we think about fuel, we often think about gas, putting gas in the car, fuel for the car. Fuel is what makes things go, isn't it? Fuel is, 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 if we think of fuel as like gasoline, it's what makes the car go. It's what, what keeps us rolling. When we think about faith fueling our witness, what I mean to say is that faith is the thing that makes our witness go. It's the thing that drives us, the thing that leads us. So when we talk about living by faith, we're talking about living in such a way that our trust in Jesus, which we have now put into action by surrendering our lives to him, by living in the way that he's called us to live, by, by taking action on the things that we believe. But that is what compels our witness. That is what drives our witness and leads us forward so that the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we live reflects that trust that we have in Jesus and the promises of his word. Faith fuels our witness. It fuels the way that we live. It drives us just as it did with Stephen. He's full of Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace, full of power. And he does these great wonders and signs. The, 
the focus in all of this is not, oh, how great is Stephen? The focus in all of this is, wow, look at what God is doing in Stephen's life. And when we live by faith, the same could be true of us. God can do, he still does amazing things in our lives today when we as his people will live by faith. Faith fuels our witness. And so we see that in Stephen's example here. And Stephen hasn't even spoken yet, right? We, we haven't even heard from him yet. All we know is of his example, of his witness, of the way that he has lived. We're about to hear from his mouth this bold faith declared in the way that he, that he preaches the gospel. So that's the second point I want us to see is that faith fills with boldness. Faith fueled Stephen's witness, but it also filled him with boldness, boldness to preach the truth in spite of opposition. And so we see this here in chapter seven, he preaches the gospel. And a couple of things before we read this, and it's, gonna, it's, it's 53 verses, okay? When I'm, what I'm about to read uh, of, of Stephen's sermon is 53 verses. It's a sermon within a sermon that I'm about to read because I'm gonna read Stephen's sermon that he delivered. And before we get into that, I wanna draw a couple of points because I want you to see these things in Stephen's sermon. First of all, I want you to see I want you to see just the, 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 just the character of his faith here, that he is trusting in God in spite of the fact that he knows what he's about to say is not going to be well received. It's not going to be popular, and yet he speaks the truth anyway because he's willing to boldly declare the gospel that he believes in in front of those who oppose him hoping that God will use it somehow and that maybe some of them, their hearts will be turned by the truth. So I want you to see that character of his faith, that character of his witness. Another thing I want you to see is how Stephen connects the Old Testament with the gospel. He takes the story of of who the Israelites were as a people and the story of what God had done and how he had called them and how he had called their forefathers, guys like Moses and others, and how this unfolding story of Israel was really a part of God's plan to bring about the Messiah, Jesus. Stephen connects the dots. He sees what God has been doing all along. I hope that we can have the kind of faith that helps us connect the dots in our life, in our story, that we see that God has been at work from the beginning of our lives, that he's, he's put us in situations that we might hear the gospel, that we might trust in Jesus, that we might know the truth. Stephen connects those dots. And then another thing I want us to see, just as we as we delve into this and we really understand is that in all of this, we see that God had a plan. That the things that took place, the events that happened all the way back to when God called Moses, God, well, before that, even when God spoke to Abraham, that God had a plan. God knew what he was doing. He was working his plan. And Stephen sees how his life fits as a part of God's plan. I hope that we too can see how our lives fit as a part of God's plan, his work in the world around us, all right? So faith fuels our witness. Faith fills us with boldness. Let's see the boldness with which Stephen preaches the gospel here in front of the the council, the Sanhedrin. Chapter seven, verse one, and the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. 
And then he went out from the land, out of the Chaldeans, and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. And though he had no child, God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, says God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh and king of Egypt, whom he made, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on the first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died. He and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham had, brought, had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor at Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. And he brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was Exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up, <coughs> excuse me, pardon, as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptian, and he was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He was supposed, excuse me, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you wrong with each other? But the man who was wrong, wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, said, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of fire in a bush, when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. He drew near to look. There came to the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom you rejected, saying, who made you ruler or a judge? This man, God sent, is both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt, the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led them out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what, he has, be what has become of him. 
They made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me, bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech, the star of your God, Rephan, and the images that you made to worship. I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directly directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nation that God drove out before the fathers. So it was until the day of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. A pretty scathing sermon that Stephen delivers, isn't it? A pretty scathing rebuke against the Israelites, essentially saying, you have rejected Jesus, the Messiah whom God sent, just as you rejected the prophet's the forefathers, the, the patriarchs of the faith that God sent before as well. What he's saying essentially is this. You stiff-necked people, you always turn your hearts against what it is that God wants to do. You always rebel against him. You're doing it now just as you have done previously. That wasn't a message that they wanted to hear. It wasn't the kind of sermon that was going to make people say, oh, Stephen, he's really a good guy. Maybe we just misunderstood. This was, a, this was a message intended to provoke. This was a message intended to rile people up, but it was the truth, the truth of the gospel. And Stephen was going to preach it boldly in spite of the fact that he knew it would not be well received. I think we see in, in what Stephen has said here in his life, in his witness, in his message, we see boldness in his faith. Look, 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 first of all, we see boldness in the fact that he performed signs and wonders. There was boldness of faith that he would live. He was so on fire that he was able to do signs and wonders. There was boldness in his preaching the truth. And that he preached the truth, he preached the gospel, he connected the dots of the Old Testament and the story of Jesus. He put all that truth together and preached the gospel. He, he showed boldness in that he persevered in the face of opposition. In spite of his opposition, in spite of the fact that they have, that they have made up charges against him, Stephen is willing to stand and preach the truth. He shows boldness, ultimately, as we're about to see, in, in paying the price with his life. He paid the ultimate price. Stephen was bold in the way that he lived, and that boldness came through his faith. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in him as he was filled with the Spirit, as he lived by faith. So faith fuels our witness. Faith fills us with boldness. Finally, we see that faith finishes well. Faith finishes well. Verse 54 this is what they make of Stephen's message. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged 
and they ground their teeth at him. Now, the word enraged, what is translated here to be enraged, literally in in the language it says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and they ground their teeth at him. They were furious, to say the least, at what Stephen has preached. And it says in verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They were so furious, so enraged, so overtaken by their anger at what Stephen has preached. And now this word that he has said about seeing the heavens open and Son of Man, Jesus, the right hand of God, they're so angered by this that they literally stopped their ears and they ran at him to kill him. This is a mob who is, who is set on, on, on death. They, they, they want to kill Stephen for this. And we see that that's exactly what they aim to do. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, today, if we said that Stephen got stoned, that would mean something entirely different than it meant then, Right? This is, what, this is what stoning means. Now, we, we understand that what seems to have happened here is they were so angry at Stephen that they literally picked up rocks and started throwing rocks at him. But typically, the typical Jewish stoning, according to the, the law and the way that they practiced the law, is they would take someone outside of the city and the law said that they were to throw someone, they were to cast someone off of a cliff that had to be at least two times the height of the person. And so they would cast the person off the cliff. They would bind them, of course, toss them off of the cliff, and then they would take the largest stones that they could find, and they would roll the stones off the cliff to crush the person to finish the job. That's a pretty brutal way to go, isn't it? I mean, that's not that... However bad it might be for them to pick up rocks and throw it at the person, this other practice of stoning seems actually much worse, much more painful, much much more punitive. But that was the typical practice. But in order to stone someone, they had to have permission. They had to have they had to have permission from the governing Roman authorities. There, there was a whole legal process, a trial that a person... Of course, Stephen's on, on trial here, but they are so enraged, this mob, that they don't even wait to jump through the hoops and do things right. They literally carry him, they fall upon him, they carry him, and they pick up stones and start throwing stones at him to kill him. It seems to be the, the, the picture here. And it says that as they do this, they... They were taking off their robes, so they disrobed. What's interesting is that typically when a person was stoned, it was the person who was stoned, who was punished by stoning, who they disrobed. They would, they would bind them, they would strip them of their clothing, and then stone them. But here, the people who are enraged are so hot with anger that they're ripping their clothes off, grabbing stones, and dealing with Stephen immediately. It says that, They rushed on him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which of course is a euphemism. It means that at that point he died. And so Stephen was, was he paid the ultimate price. He, he was stoned for his bold witness for declaring the truth, preaching the gospel, which they didn't want to hear. They considered it blasphemous. They considered themselves justified in, in executing Stephen for what he was saying. Stephen finished well. When we see the story told from the perspective of Christian faith, when we see the story told from the perspective of the, of the, the writer of Acts from Luke and his telling of this, we see that Stephen finishes well. And he was filled with the Spirit and that that Spirit filling fueled his witness, that it filled him with boldness to preach the gospel and ultimately it empowered him to finish well, even to the point of laying down his life, one of the early church fathers made this statement that has lived on. That He says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The idea being that when people are willing to pay the ultimate price, you can't stop that. You can't stop a movement where people don't even account their own lives as worthy, that they're willing to suffer even to the point of death. When we are so serious about our faith that we will do anything and everything necessary to share the gospel, to live with boldness, to preach the truth, you can't stop that. You can't stop that kind of movement just like you couldn't stop Stephen. You couldn't stop what he ultimately would, what, what he was set to do, which was bear witness to the truth, to live for the gospel, to preach the truth, and even if it meant giving his life. And here's the point that I want you to see in all of this, Okay. There is a thread we see from the moment that we're introduced to Stephen and it's woven into the end. And that is that Stephen was filled by the Holy Spirit. We see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Stephen's life. Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Spirit. He was, in verse 55, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Throughout this story of Stephen's life, we see that Stephen was full of the Spirit. So the faith that Stephen has, the faith that fueled his witness, the faith that filled him with boldness, the faith that enabled him to finish well, comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in Stephen's life. And the same is true in our lives as well. When we live by faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can that we can be bold in our witness, that we, can, that we can share the love of Christ. We can, when necessary, take a radical stand, take a bold stand for the truth, that we can, that we can preach the gospel and the hope of Christ even when it's not popular, even when, even when it might feel like it's swimming upstream against the culture, the values of our day. We are called to live with the kind of faith that we see in Stephen's life, the kind of faith that says, I want to put Jesus first in all things. And that is a product of the Holy Spirit's work in Stephen's life. And the truth is, it's a product of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. That if we're to live with that kind of faith, that we might impact the world around us, that it's going to take a movement of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take people who are so, who are so filled with the Spirit, who have spent time with Jesus, who have studied His Word, who have spent time in prayer, people who, who, who have meditated upon the Word of God, who are filled with that truth, who are willing to live boldly for His kingdom, full of the Spirit. So the, the, the point of all of this today is that we would have to 
face ourselves in a spiritual mirror of sorts, that we would have to look at our lives and, and examine our hearts and examine ourselves and ask the question, honestly, am I living filled with the Spirit? Does my life show the kind of faith that is an evidence of the Holy Spirit the way that Stephen's life did? Am I trusting in him? Am I walking by faith? Am I, am I filled with the Spirit? This Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was driving Stephen is the same Holy Spirit that we trust in, that we walk with today. The same Holy Spirit, the same power that we understand that raised Christ from the dead is available to us through the work of this Holy Spirit in our lives. Romans chapter 8 tells us about that. Ephesians chapter 1 points us to understand that as well. We can have the same kind of power, the same kind of boldness to live by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit, just as Stephen did. But the Holy Spirit only comes to those who trust in Jesus by faith. Have you trusted him by faith? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Which, again, if we're thinking of faith as trust, put in action. Have you trusted Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and surrendered your life to him? Have you been given the Holy Spirit, which comes to everyone who trusts in Jesus? The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 13 and 14. We're given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee, a down payment of our salvation. Have you received the Holy Spirit? and Are you living by faith? In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in our response today, if there's anyone here who would recognize that you'd be willing to admit to yourself and, and, and even publicly, I've never trusted in Jesus. We want to call on you today to trust in him by faith. So during our invitation, our altar will be open. Our staff will be standing here at the front. You can come forward and you can take one of us by the hand and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust in him and, and, and trust in Jesus by faith. And we will help guide you through that prayer of faith, that prayer of surrender where you confess your sin to him where you acknowledge his power, his forgiveness over your sin and make him Lord and Savior of your life today if you're willing to surrender your life to him. We pray that you would come during our invitation. There are many others maybe who've taken that step. You've trusted in Jesus by faith. But the real question for you is, are you living by faith? Maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus, but, and, and so you have the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit, but are you living by faith in the Spirit? Is faith fueling your witness is faith filling you with boldness so that ultimately, by faith, you might finish well? I'll say what I've said already. I'll say it again. What our world needs, what our community needs, what your family needs, what your friends need, what your coworkers, what your classmates, what your neighbors need is for Christians, for believers who are done playing games and who are willing to get serious about their faith in Jesus. The world around us is broken. We know that. We're a part of it. And yet the answer comes through the hope in Jesus. Will we as the people of God live fueled by faith to take that hope to them? I pray that God would stir your heart. And even as we respond to him today, you might want to come and kneel here at the altar and just pray. Pray for God to fill you with his spirit. Pray for boldness. 
Pray for the people in your life that you know are broken and need Jesus, that God would use you to take the hope of Jesus to them. Would you join me now as we pray? Lord God, we want to live by faith. And so as we respond to this word, to this message today, I pray that you would direct us. Connect those dots for us, so to speak, that we see where you've been working, we see how you've been leading, and we're willing to respond in obedience to your leadership, that we might, that we might live by faith and, and point others to Jesus. And if there's